Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, a kid lit podcast for parents, teachers, and writers. I'm Heather Kaufman Peters. I'm the mother of one teenage boy. I'm a preschool teacher and a writer. And I'm Margie Ozimit. I'm the mom to two boys, a middle school teacher, currently on hiatus, and writer, and a brand new homeschool mom. What, what? I know, it's so exciting. My first time. I'm on hiatus too, I guess, because our preschool is all virtual this year. I know, right? So I, I feel like I'm still, a, I'm still a middle school teacher. I'm teaching a seventh grader, but he just happens to be my own. And there's only one set of stinky feet instead of 25, so... Very good. So welcome to the ninth episode of Tulip Mamas. Let's go. Nine episodes. We've got some great and maybe not so great books about death and hard of hearing kids. I had to add that in for you. It's true. It's true. (laughs) I'm a judgy. I'm Judge Judy on this one. So I feel like I need to sit back on this episode a little bit and let you go to town, Margie, since you know way more about this than I do. Well, I do, but it's not by choice. (laughs) I mean, God bless those people that are really into deaf culture by choice because there are a lot and I've met a lot and they're amazing. And we thank you. We are members of the deaf and hard of hearing community because as I've mentioned in other podcasts, my youngest son um, was born with uh, genetic syndrome and part of that comes with uh, microtia atresia is what he has. So he doesn't really have an ear on the right side and therefore he has no hearing on that side and he's missing some hearing on the other side too. This week was our big time to finally finish his last surgery at the ripe old age of seven. This poor kid's had already had, this is his fifth surgery. This was the third one on this particular ear or missing ear and it was to mount his hearing aid. So because he doesn't have an ear or an ear canal or anything inside, he hears through a hearing aid that's called a Baja, a bone anchored hearing aid, and he hears through the vibrations. That's amazing. It is amazing. Like science, hello. I mean, I love science, but it's, and it just keeps getting better and better every year since we've had him. I mean, there's been like new advances every year. So the first part they had to put an implant into his skull and then let that integrate. And we did that last fall and it was only supposed to integrate for, for like six months, but then there was COVID. So it integrated for almost a year. Wow. <laughs> so it was literally the week we were supposed to go back for the stage two of the surgery that they shut it all down at uh, Boston Children's Hospital, which hello, heaven on earth. Worst parking known to man because you're right down by Fenway, which is thank God baseball's not happening right now. It, the worst parking ever, but it is, uh, it is literally heaven on earth. Those it's, I could not say enough. And we've been, as you know, we've spent a lot of time at children's hospitals in his seven young years and yes. Riley hospital is amazing in Indianapolis. Peyton Manning's amazing in Indianapolis, but I got to say Boston children's, they just like, they're, they're the kind of place where they think it through before you even think of it. Wow. Except PS for the masks. So this is my fun tale. So we had to go to the hospital for the second stage. We got that all like squared away. When you go into the hospital now, they give you a mask, right? You've got to get rid of your mask that you wore in so you don't bring any germs in with you. Brilliant. Makes good sense. You get rid of your old mask. They put a new one on for you to wear every time you enter the hospital. So my poor little nugget, they give him one. But we have a special one that's all rigged up to a hat for him because if you don't have two ears, you can't wear a surgical mask. Oh my goodness. So I'm like, they're trying to give him a mask. And I'm like, well, he can't wear it. And then they were like, well, um, he has to change. And I'm like, well, you have to give him the one with the ties. Like, well, they don't make the ones with the ties for the little kids. They only make them in adult size, which then covers his whole face. So I'm looking at this man and we go, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to let you off the hook because you're just the door guy. Then we get to where we're going and we are in the hemiofacial cranial surgery department, right? That is facial deformities and birth defects. Yo, you're hard pressed to find a kid with two ears in that. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, nobody thought of this. Literally, they're trying again. They're like, oh my God. And they were so embarrassed. They're like, 
oh my God, how do we not have any face masks? You're the first one we've had so far. We have to get face masks for kids that don't have two ears. And I'm like, yeah, you do. It's a big thing. (laughs) So that was the big thing. But anyway, it was amazing. And he's doing great, but we are just back from surgery and, and now we're ready. So in a couple of months, he'll be able to just snap on his hearing aid. It's kind of like a dental implant in the back of the skull. And he'll be able to hear. So it'll be great. He's been wearing one, but uh, up until this point, he's had one since he was a baby, but he wore it on a headband. Mm-hmm. But now he's cool and he doesn't want to look like Beyond Board. Long story short, that's how we're here. And that's why we know and I know so much about literature that features deaf and hard of hearing characters and why I am so judgmental about it. So hold on, people. We got a good one for you because Judge Judy's in the house. <laughs> so. Shall we start? Yeah. So for the ninth episode of Tulip Mamas, we'll be discussing a few books and exploring the way these books depict deaf and hard of hearing characters. We'll look at A Song for a Whale by Lynn Kelly, Wonderstruck by Brian Selznick, and Harriet versus the Galaxy by Samantha Baines. And we'll also look at El Defo, the classic by C.C. Bell, and Hello Universe by Aaron Entrada Kelly. So let's get started. We're going to start off with Song for a Whale. And Heather, you sent this to me. I'd seen it, but I wasn't like grabbed by it. And then you sent it to me and I fell in love. So how did you find this? Do you remember? I wish I could remember. I know. I feel terrible. I don't know. I know. I'm thinking I probably found it through one of my two favorite bookstores because I follow their Facebook pages and they always have great recommendations on there. So I'm sure that's probably where it originally came from. But I quickly ordered it because, first of all, the cover is beautiful and it sounded like such a great story. So if you've listened to any other episodes of this podcast, you totally know we judge the books by their cover. Of course. If it's not pretty, we're not reading it. Yes, we do judge your books by their covers. Yay. But I have to say, like, I'm so excited that I discovered a song for a whale. Me too. Me too. In the middle grade genre, there are so many books about a girl and her horse or a boy and his dog. But I love this book about a deaf girl and her whale that can't communicate with other whales. How fun is that? It's charming. The main character, Iris, is so fascinating. She has one of those kind of engineering brains, wouldn't you say, Margie? Definitely. You've got a couple of those, I know. Yeah. She likes to take apart old radios and rebuild them um, with salvage parts, which is a cool thing that she spends her time doing. And she can't hear them. That's the coolest part. She can't hear the radios. Right. But she does like to put her hands on the old radios and feel them, which I love that. And I love old things. So I just thought that was great. At school, she learns about a whale who can't communicate with other whales because its song is at a different frequency. So she connects with that feeling, right? Because she's Mm -hmm. the only deaf girl in her school and she feels really isolated from people. And she walks around with her interpreter. So that sets her off on this amazing adventure. I have to say, I like this book for so many reasons, but there are three main reasons. So I thought I'd talk about Oh, that's that. good. That's good. You take it down to three. I like that because it's really hard to like focus on <laughs> no. it. So I like this book first as a writer, because the first three chapters of this book could be a case study in how to draw in the reader. I swear to God, I was, I don't even know how many pages in and I was already tearing up because I felt already bonded to the character. I mean, I had to have only been a few pages in. So yeah. this author, the skill she had with that alone is amazing. And then And secondly, the armchair traveler. I love books that take you places like where you feel like after you're done reading it, you've been on a vacation. 
like, oh my God, I've never been on a cruise ship. And by the end of this, I felt like I knew exactly what it was like to be on a cruise ship. It's a masterclass in world building. Seriously. Any story, especially right now, that makes you feel like you've gone somewhere. People don't really know me, but I have a hard time if I haven't traveled somewhere. And and I haven't gone anywhere for over six months now. And I feel like I'm losing my mind. (laughs) And she was supposed to PS. I was supposed to visit her in Indiana and she was supposed to come here to Massachusetts. Yes. it's the, the struggle is real. And I've got a big birthday this year and I was planning a trip. 25. To, yes. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you for that. Yes. And I was planning a trip to Europe or something. I don't know. So yeah, it's very sad right now. Meanwhile, we'll probably, we'll be celebrating our 60th birthdays and we finally get out of quarantine and we'll be like, let's go. <laughs> I'll be like 500 pounds. Finally out. <laughs> Meanwhile, we can't walk, but we'll go. It'll be great. <laughs> So yeah. So I mean, I love those kind of books that make you feel like you've been on vacation. It kind of reminded me of this book by Madeline Lingle called Troubling a Star. It's part of their Austin family book series, but it's about a girl who goes on a trip to Antarctica and sees penguins. And I had that same like warm and fuzzy feeling after I read that book too about what it would be like to go on an Antarctic expedition. It was so cool. Anyway, it it had that same kind of feeling for me. And then of course, the last thing that is most important that I love love, love, loved about this book is is the incredible insight into the deaf experience. Yes, 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 yes. I can let you go on about that for a while while I drink my wine. Right, drink your wine. <laughs> that is huge because like I said, I've read, if there's a deaf character in it, and it's made for somebody under the age of like, you know, 12, I've read it because I'm always trying to understand my son better. I'm always trying to find things that will help me be able to share with him that he can relate to better. I'm full hearing. My husband's full hearing. Our other son is full hearing. So it's really all new to me. And I didn't work with deaf students before. I didn't work with hard of hearing students before. So this is a whole new world. In the state of Indiana, I have to say, it was astonishing. The day we found out that baby couldn't hear, they gave us a deaf mentor. And our deaf mentor was like this magical fairy godmother. And Jody Creech, if you're reading in these transcripts, then I, I love you and I will love you forever. And she taught us how to sign. She taught him how to sign. She taught me about how to get my baby's attention when he could, you know, because he couldn't talk for years. He didn't talk until he was over three because he, he just signed. He couldn't, he couldn't hear the words to make the sounds, he, you know. Mm-hmm. So we signed everything and he, she taught me everything I knew. And I felt like that woman as a deaf mentor, she was, she worked for Gallaudet University. She's deaf. Her husband's deaf. They have four deaf sons. And she just taught me how to navigate the world. And she taught me more than anyone in my life has ever taught me. And I feel like that is what this book did. It was like, here, Like she taught me how to say, this is what your child is. This is what you are. And this is how you get to him. And this is exactly what this book did. When I read about the author and that that she was a translator and that she was very, she was a hearing person. I was shocked. First of all, she was a hearing person. But then when I understood, like, as an interpreter, that's her whole job to understand. It made it perfect sense. Right. And it sounds like from what I read about her, too, she kind of has almost an obsession when she meets deaf people from different areas. She has them teach her yeah. right away what their specific slang is and things yeah. like that. So it sounds like she has a real passion for it. It came through. For sure. One of the moments in the book that just struck me the most was the poem. Oh, handshake poem. Yes, yeah, she writes poetry based on your hand shapes. Oh my god. Jody used to do that with me and I was really, really bad at it. But God bless her. She just kept trying. And what you do is like there's so many signs that you can make with one hand shape. And you might, you know, like let's say if you're making the five hand shape, which they do in the book, there's a lot of signs. You can make fish, you can make tree, you can make a whole lot of signs with just that hand shape. 
So the goal is to write an entire poem or tell a story. It's a kind of a kid's game and you can't use any other hand shape. So how many signs can you think of that come with that hand shape? I was horrendous. Again, I always did fishy. I always did tree. I always did the same ones because I'm like, but when I saw that in the book, I was just like, I had this flashback to when, when my little nugget was learning and I was like, oh my gosh, when we used to do the hand shape poem. And I was terrible. And he would just look at me like, God, you are just atrocious at this woman, but keep trying. The other thing that is so hit so close to home is it's like that was I was home with him. I took that year off to be home with him when he was having a lot of his health problems initially as a, as a young as a toddler. Mm-hmm. And I learned ASL. I learned ASL from Jody with him. We learned together. And my older son learned a lot with him. He picked it up super fast, but my husband was at work and he wasn't there with us. Right. And so when her dad, when like in the book, the girl's mother, mother and brother are fluent, but her dad really struggles and he doesn't communicate with his daughter very well because he doesn't know ASL very well. Right. And that's actually a really common story that, you know, or the neither parents learn it because they don't want you to to be different. So they're going to force you into that world when you can't be in that world. Right. You have your, you have a world, just accept me for who I am and let me go in my world. And that's what her whole, whole journey through this book is, you know, like just accept me for who I am and let me go to the deaf school. Let me go to the school with the other deaf kids so I can have a, a community, not be part of your community because I don't know what's going on in your community. Right. But they were afraid they would lose her to that community. Right. right. Which is legitimate. I mean, as if you have children, you felt for them. I understood. I understood that part of it too. And I also really love the part where she bonded with her dad a little bit over the whales because that was an interest of his and they finally had something that they could connect on. I wish we could follow it up and find out what happens later because I feel like the dad would, he would do it. He would work on it eventually you know like my husband was a terrible he was terrible at it but like he was saying he's like my god I I'm struggling with English like English is my second language I'm trying to work on English now you want me to like keep working on my English and then add another one I say I I get it you know and he would learn like the important ones that you know like where life or death matters or something like that so he could sign back to him but you know that was that was it I should add it to add that my son does now, you know, he uses spoken English as his primary communication now, but he does still sign when he's tired or when he's sick or he wants to get my attention across the room or something like that. He does still sign. It was a really important part of our life until he kind of got going. And my son, who's obsessed with languages, has learned sign language too. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's, yeah, he took a year of it in high school and he volunteers at the food pantry and there's a man there who's deaf and so they would talk and I thought it was so funny because they could have huge conversations across the room from each other because they didn't yeah in the same stations yeah I think that's what my son liked because they were sort of isolated from one another because they had to fall you know take care of their own stations but yet they could talk to each other across the room where you couldn't do that with anyone else right you can't yell like yo baba what's up yeah he loved that he learned a lot of um, new vocabulary from him too so it was nice and I'm sure that man who he probably doesn't come across very many people who can sign sign to him. So Yeah. And I think it's important. I feel like, you know, signing is a really good thing for a lot of kids to use as a second language. Not only is it easier for a lot of visual learners to pick up sign language as a second language, but it's really important for our deaf community to be sure. able to have people that can help that do speak your language. And most colleges accept it as a foreign language. So why not? It's hard. Gramma- grammatically, ooh, girl, it's hard. There's parts of it where you're like, wait a minute, what did I just do? And then, of course, the problem that I always run into, whenever I would go to like um, things, because he used to go to preschool at the deaf school, and I had enough 
in Indianapolis. I had enough to get by. Like I could get us in, I could get us into class. We could mm-hmm. t- talk with the teachers a little bit to see how his day went, you know, like sign with the teachers. But then all of a sudden they would be like, oh, so you signed. And they would go rapid speed. And I would be like, oh my God, no, slow down, slow down. No, no, no. I'm like, I'm maxing out here. That's kind of like with any language, I think. Yeah. You'd get stuck one time I was dropping him off at preschool and we were stuck in a, in a tornado drill or, or their tornado warning or fire drill or something like that. And I was dropping him off and I was like the only hearing person there. And so these things are roaring and they're all like oblivious. And finally the lights started to go off. Of course, I have no idea what it is. And I was, we ended up spending like an hour sitting in a bathroom with the entire preschool class. Yeah, it was good times. Good times. Yeah. This is how brilliant my little nugget is. He is an evil genius. But when the teachers would start signing to him, he didn't want to stay. He didn't like to go. And the teachers would sign to try to like get his attention or whatever. He would just close his eyes because (laughs) I can't see you. You're not. You're not talking. There's no communication. There's no (laughs) communication. He was evil. But I have to say, Lynn Kelly is an amazing writer. And I feel like it's really important for us to warn her that she's going on the list and we're probably going to stalk her. Yeah, we might start stalking her for sure. Because I'm telling you, when I was like tearing up like four pages into that story, I was like, she's a genius. (laughs) She's a genius. And and, and she's, she, I just feel like as a parent in that world, God forbid, you know, like I, it's so hard to find somebody that nails it. And she mm-hmm. so nailed it. She really nailed it. The history of the, the deaf history was there. The deaf games were there. The, I mean, like the process of learning, that sort of alienation. She's got everything. I mean, this book is just brilliant. I cannot say it enough. Go, go, go. Go, go. Go buy go it. Go get I'm, Song for a Whale. Song for a Whale by Lynn <laughs> Kelly. Go get it. Don't stop. Go right now. Well, I mean, listen to the rest of our podcast first. And honestly, I have to say, I think it's good for any age group. Oh, yeah. If you're reading this story to a younger child, I think they would enjoy it just as much as an older child reading it to them for themselves. Actually, a lot of the books that we're talking about this time, I feel like could be that way. Could be read out loud to younger children too because they're just such interesting stories plus yes did you ever know all that facts all the facts about whales i learned no. so much about whales the blowholes are different yes. and, oh, and the tail i feel like, like a genius now yeah seriously and you know again speaking to her talent you got all that information and didn't feel like you were being lectured at or talked down to in any way it was all just a part of the story in a really fascinating way well, I kind of felt like I was being informed by the main character. Like, here's my world. This is why it stinks. This is why it's awesome. This is why I'm struggling. This is what I want it to be. Um, again, Lynn Kelly Watcher, we're coming for you, girl. We're going to stalk <laughs> you with all of our others, and you'll have to get a restraining order, but it's out of love. Just know it's out of love. We adore you. You're amazing. Please write more books. Please, with more deaf character. Representation is so important. Yes. All right, our next one. I forced this on you, like... Yes, you did. It, like, nobody's... And, and the part of it that's... I think if you haven't seen this book, uh, Wonderstruck by Brian Selznick, it is about three inches, four inches thick. Yes. It's massive. It's like a freaking dictionary, for sure. It, it's so intimidating when you look yes. at it. You're like, oh, wow, that's going to take some time. Much like his other book, you know, The Invention of Hugo Cabret. It looks like War and Peace, though. It's huge. Huge. And it takes you like no time to read. I was really nervous about that. And you warned me. You said, no, it's going to be a fast read. And it was like, I think I read it in an afternoon, to be honest with you. And I loved it. It's a great story. All right. Tell us about it. Okay. So Wonderstruck by Brian Selznick is about two people set about 50 years apart. One story is set in 1977. It's about a boy in Michigan who, and he starts out hard of hearing, but he ends up deaf. 
So he isn't well-versed in sign language. So that's what we know about him. And he just lost his mother and he never knew his father. So after finding a clue in his house, he sets out to find what he thinks might lead him to his father. And then the other story is set in 1927 and is done only in drawings, which is super, super cool. Amazing pencil drawings. Yes. Beautiful, beautiful black and white sketches. Yes. And it's about a girl who is deaf, who's basically being forced to learn to lip read. And she has a scrapbook of this movie actress and she runs away to find the actress. Because she kind of feels like she's being kind of held, not against her will, but like hidden away, like hidden away in the attic of this house in Hoboken. Yes. P.S. You know, I lived in Philly for many, many years. Nothing good in Jersey. It happens hidden (laughs) away in attics. I'm just saying. There's a lot of things hidden away in attics in Jersey. You definitely feel it for this girl, even though all you're getting is pictures of her. You feel for her immediately. So. Yeah, so much emotion in every drawing, right? Yes. And so the book alternates between the boy's story and the girl's drawings until they eventually come together. And it's so satisfying. Oh, my gosh. I got goosebumps when the story. I know you texted me right then, which is awesome. <laughs> I know. I mean, it was like, it really like moved me. And so anyway, I mean, that's all I would say. I enjoyed this book. There's so much that you could say about this story that would give it away, though. That's the hard part. I know, that's hard. And I think I should preface this by saying, I, my husband was like, what? Because I ordered this book for my older son. I had checked it out from the library when I read it the first time, and I ordered it for his homeschool curriculum this year because we're studying electricity. Oh. We'll talk more about the reading across the curriculum later. But um, so I said, this is a perfect one while, you know, while we're doing that. And my husband was like, good God, what is this book? And so I told him like the basic premise. And he was like, I feel like I should read this. And I'm like, oh. the Turk never reads PS. The Turk does not read unless it's like political or, or like nerdy engineering books. So that, there's something there that got him like sucked into it right away. But the story is, I mean, it's just never stops. And the kid that is the, the main character, you just love him. You love him and you want him to find the answers. And you are so invested in him finding yes. the answers. I would find myself like skipping the illustration pages. Yes. And then going on to the word pages so I could keep going with his story. Then I would go back and do the same with hers. And I would read like four of her chapters, you know. I wouldn't skip them, but I'd look through them really fast. <laughs> yeah. I would go, oh, okay. Now let me get back to the story. Right, because yeah. I want to know what happens to him. And it was really cool to have it take place in the 70s, too. That's such a time period that we don't see a lot of in, in kid lit, especially. So it was nice that, because we're old and we appreciate those time periods. But Amazon made it into a movie with Julianne Moore playing the woman in the book that we find in New York. And I haven't watched it yet, and I don't know if I want to or not, but it is out there. I was thinking the exact same thing, because when I was doing some research on the book later, I saw that there was a movie, and I thought, "Mm, I don't know if I want to ruin it. Right? I know. I was. We were thinking about watching it the other night, and I'm like, you know what? I said to my older son, I'm like, you read it first, and then we'll do it. Oh, that's a good idea. But as far as the representation, it's very historically right on the money. It wasn't a thing. You just figure out how to work with it. Read my lips. You know, like, read my lips and, and get through it. I have a friend whose um, sister is, she's quite a bit older than us. And I remember like when we were in high school and stuff, Kelly was great because she'd always like turn your face towards her and she would just be like, hold on, say it again. She never learned to sign and anything like that. Years and years and years later, we got back in touch again after I had my son and we talked about it and like the difference, she's like, I think it's so interesting because when I was born deaf into a hearing family, they just pretended like the hearing aids would fix it. And I didn't learn sign language until I was in my 30s and 40s. And I didn't find the deaf community until I was in my 30s and 40s. I just had to like adapt. 
And I mean, God bless her parents. They were the sweetest people on earth, the most wonderful people on earth. But it was the 70s. Nobody knew what to do with it. Well, and I think also if you live in a rural area, you probably don't even come across it. Like here in Indianapolis, we have that amazing school. So you would know right away you have some resources. So I feel like based on my conversations with her, that this is really right on the money. It was like, oh, you can't hear? Here, I'll just move my lips bigger, which is sort of how the characters treat him. Once he, he can't hear, there's no like, okay, here's what we need to do. Here's how we can make you fit in and feel like you're, you know, you're comfortable. Nothing is sort of like figure it out. And I feel like that's exactly the reality of of how it was in the seventies, you know, for kids that, that didn't hear. And I'm going to get on my political high horse, but I feel like right now, which is why I am homeschooling my child who reads lips, that that's exactly what's happening again, because we all have to have our masks and everything else. And people are like, Oh, you read lips. You can't hear. Figure it out. Well, I'll tell you, because when we weren't sure what was happening at the preschool, even I bought a mask that had like a plastic part of your mouth because that's another issue with preschoolers because they're there to learn social cues. Yeah. And how are they supposed to learn them if they can't see your face and your expressions? I mean, it's not going to happen. And, you know, it's interesting because I broached it with the special ed department, which I worked for, P.S., at the same time. And I was like, hey. My kid reads lips. What are we going to do? And there's other deaf and hard of hearing kids in the school. And they said, well, the teachers will have masks that are clear. And I said, well, that's great. But he's never going to know if the other kids are talking. They're like, no. There's no socializing. And it was sort of like, well, sorry, that's what we can do. And I'm like, that's not good enough. It's just not good enough for me because I am Judge Judy and I want what I want. (laughs) (laughs) And I will judge your choices until I die. Oh my God. So anyway, that's another one. That's a winner. That's a winner. winner and winner. it's historically accurate. Two winners. Still not as amazing as Song for a Whale, but amazing in a different way from a historical point of view. Yes. So the third book that I found online, and I actually found this book online. Uh, it's called Harriet versus the Galaxy by Samantha Baines. It's a British writer and a lot of the terminology is British. I'll just preface that. I found this one because I'm always looking for books that are a little bit younger. This is definitely a a lower middle grade as opposed to an upper middle grade, which I would say Song for a Whale and Wonderstruck both would fall into that sort of upper middle grade. This is definitely sort of that third through fifth grade, um, Harriet versus the Galaxy. To be totally honest, I wasn't like a massive fan, but the Nugget loved it. He thought it was really funny. He thought the hearing aid jokes in it were funny. There's this part in there where she's like, oh, I didn't hear. I heard the first word. I heard the last word. And I just make up whatever's in the middle. And my son was howling. He's like, that's what I do. (laughs) I was like, oh, that explains it. Yeah, we figured that out. So he thought the jokes were really funny. Basically, long story short is Harriet is sent to go live with her grandmother because her father took a job that's going to require a lot of travel and he's a single father. So she's going to stay with her grandmother for a while. While she's unloading, she finds an alien sock muncher under her bed eating her socks. And Sock Muncha is actually uh, wanted. He's wanted in the galaxy. She can understand everything that Sock Muncha says until her hearing aid falls off. And then they realize her hearing aid is actually like a translator for all alien languages. And that's what my nug thought was the funniest thing ever. He was like, well, you think mine can do that? (laughs) I was like, I don't know. Maybe the new one will. We'll see if you can translate alien languages. It's like a babble fish. I know. That's exactly what I thought of. That's hilarious. It's funny. I love that, that having the hearing aid is what made her a superhero in that story. It's really interesting. This one, again, the, um, the writer is not deaf. 
for hard of hearing, but she works in the hard of hearing community. And then there was another consultant that worked closely with her that was a hard of hearing. And you can tell, you can definitely tell because the the very subtle things that, that the characters would say about her hearing aid or whatever is right on the money. That's how you can always tell if somebody really knows what they're doing or they're, you know, just happened to like, oh, I, I called Gallaudet and got a few questions answered and that's what I put in. And Gallaudet is the deaf university, just FYI, where everybody, it's like the, the be all end all. So it was a good book. It wasn't a great book. Basically by the middle of the story, Harriet figures out that her grandmother actually works for the aliens, for the Alien Defense League. That's awesome. And her, she was supposed to be training Harriet anyway. Then they figured out that Harriet's this awesome asset. Then Robin, who is this uh, gender neutral neighbor, comes in. And Robin also is incredibly wonderful with the aliens. So Robin also gets to join the Alien Defense League. So they have to kind of get the, the munches out of, to, to go back to their own planet and stop eating Earth. I do think that, and this is just me being really picky. I, I love the fact that we just like out of the blue had this character at, and we add Robin in, but it did get a little confusing with all of the days for an early reader. Like my son would get confused and be like, wait, who's they again? And I think, well, they is Robin. And it's a great idea. And I think it's important. And I think it's socially important that we start like that sort of gender identity stuff comes in early. It's just a little tricky when we already have like a lot of storylines going on. Like Rick, I think we did Rick a few, a few episodes ago and they was very prominent in that too, but that was the topic of the book. So the whole topic of the book was about, are you a they, are you a he, how do you identify so therefore, it wasn't as confusing. So we kind of threw this in out of the blue, which again, it's important. It needs to be in there. But it was confusing for a younger kid. Such a tough one in print. I wish they would they would just get rid of a, the they and come up with something new. Something new. You know, it would be the best. That's, the, that's what we need. You know, I don't feel like they should have to suffer with the word they. But, you know, until we figure that out, I guess we're stuck with it. But that's my big criticism. It's not great writing. It's not a great, like, page turner. It wasn't. But like I said, I was not impressed. But it really rang well with the seven-year-old. So again, representation matters. And you know, the nice thing is that it was on accurate representation matters. That's the big thing. Like accurate representation matters, not like what you think it might be like to be a deaf kid. What is it really like to be a deaf kid? Right. And the nice thing I did like about this book too is that there was a lot of information given at the beginning. There were a lot of details about not being able to hear this or that. And then it was done. It's just like in life. Yeah, it didn't belabor it. Yeah. It wasn't like constantly, look at me, I'm I'm hard of hearing. I I can't do that because I'm hard of hearing. No, because it really doesn't. I mean, you know my kid. Right. Nothing slows that fool down. Nothing. I wish something would. (laughs) It's like having brown hair. It's just the way he is. So, right. So, that one was the next one. I also wanted to touch really quickly on two really uh, well known books. One of them is El Defo by CC Bell. Hello. First of all, CC Bell, we love you. We love everything about you. She's an illustrator by trade initially. This book was a New York Times bestseller. It won the Newbery Honor Book. And it's a graphic novel. Basically, El Defo is written by Cece Bell, who is deaf, which again, there we go. Like, tell your story. Own voices. Yep, own voices. Hashtag own voices. El Defo is about a bunny who loses her hearing when she's four from meningitis. And then this actually also takes place in the 70s. So it's very real about how hard it is to kind of get a hearing aid. And it took a while in the book. It's a graphic novel and it uses the little bunny, which I think is really funny because bunnies have giant ears. So if you try to put a hearing aid on a bunny, it's really, really obvious. And that's kind of the whole thing is that it was really, really obvious to have a hearing aid. It's an older book. I mean, it's it came out in 2014 it was the first deaf book I read and I was like it was a light bulb moment for me 
because the struggles are just about like being a kid who can't hear or being a kid that's different, being a kid that has to wear this big clunky hearing aid when everybody else is just like swinging on the swings and hanging out. And then you get mad because you have this giant hearing aid and you have to remember to put on your streamer when you go in the classroom, because otherwise you won't be able to hear the teacher. And then the teacher leaves the, you know, leaves the streamer on when they go pee and you can hear everything, which PS has happened to my son, (gasps) happened to him. He thinks it's the funniest thing ever happens more than you think. Somebody like forgets they have the streamer on, they go to the teacher's lounge or whatever, they're dishing, they forget that it's streaming right into his hearing aid. And he's like, huh, well, that's nice. You're trash talking the whole class. <laughs> and he'll always come home and tell me and like, it cracks me up and the teachers are none the wiser. Oh my God, it's too funny. And this is exactly what this amazing little book is. El Defo is the, the character's alter ego and she uses the sonic ear, which is what her hearing aid is that she has to wear around her chest. She uses that as a superpower. And it's just, a, it's great. It's great for young kids. Kubi's friend, who's also deaf, uses, as she said, like his mom said the same thing. Like, it's the first one you read. It's when you get a deaf kid, it's the first one you read. It's the first one you read with, with them. It's the first one you give their siblings. It just helps you understand. It helps you understand so much so fast. And again, Cece Bell, we love you. We really love you. In my dream, when I have my special lunch, CC Bell will be there along with Lynn Kelly and Margaret Peterson Haddix. We're all going to have lunch together before they get their restraining orders re-upped. And drink some white wine. We'll have spritzers. We'll have spritzers, spritzers to talk. Margaret Atwood will pop by later when we go Ooh. into the hard liquor because she's kind of raunchy for the kids' authors. So it'll be later. But it'll be fun. When the bourbon comes out. <laughs> so does Margaret Atwood. <laughs> Did you meet her when we were at Butler? I went to see her speak. She's awesome. She's amazing. That was, remember, I showed up with first piece, bring your favorite short story in. And I brought Margaret Atwood killing the boyfriends in. And you were like, we're meant to be. That's when I knew I loved you. (laughs) My favorite story is about a woman who kills the man who did her wrong. Your first story was about those Turkish women poisoning their husbands. I know I did a lot of dead husbands. If my husband ever turns up dead, I am screwed. They'll be like, girl, you left a trail. (laughs) I know, I know. And if this quarantine goes on much longer, girl, (laughs) it might be necessary. Oh, my friend down the street and I have a, have like a, we have a sign. She has a very similar husband to ours. He's of that like sort of engineer nerd mindset, which sends us all over the edge. And it's just a sign that just says, bring your shovel. If you ever get a text that says, bring your shovel, you don't ask any questions. You just come, you just come down the street bring your shovel. That's it. So you have to get on a plane, which is unfortunate. It's hard. I don't think they'll let you check it. Check your shovel. All right. And my last book is a night. It's a 2018 Newbery award winner is the absolute worst representation of a deaf character I have read. And that is hello universe by Aaron and Trotta Kelly. And let me just say, Newberry Award winner. Hello. I know. You know how that makes me cringe a little bit. I had to force myself to get through this book. Force myself. This is about a kid who um, has no friends. And he happens, I believe he's Filipino. And his Filipino grandmother lives with him. And she throws out a few words in Filipino. So then, boom, check the box for diversity number one. We've got some Asian diversity. Then we have some other girls of uh, Asian descent. And the one girl is misunderstood. She thinks she should be a psychic and her family doesn't understand. And she's got a little sister and they just don't listen to her. Check diversity number two. Now we have a boy. Now we have two girls. Then we bring in Valencia, who is deaf and her family doesn't care that she's deaf. They just want her to read lips. 
check, we have our disability character. So that's pretty much it. Oh, wait, we have a big white kid who's the bully. So that's how we, we've checked them all off, which is, again, probably why it won a Newbery. Um, there's notes in the back, thanks to Gallaudet. I really do not believe that in any way, shape, or form that anyone who really worked at Gallaudet signed off on this in the end because the representation's bad. It's just boring. It's really boring. She has no depth. Other than the fact that she's deaf, we got nothing about her. We, like That's her thing, and that's all that we really care about. It makes me very frustrated because this book got a lot of play. This book is everywhere because Scholastic pushed it, pushed it, pushed it, pushed it. And I don't think it's fair because that's not what deaf kids are. Deaf kids are not this sort of, oh, poor me. I feel sorry for me. The boy does know her because he comes into the special ed classroom to help her. Not every deaf kid's in special ed. Uh, if we, if you look back to Lynn Kelly, this girl was deaf. Um, she didn't try to speak through, you know, anything. This girl in the other book does speak. She has her interpreter with her. She's not in special ed. We don't have to worry about, you know, we don't have to dumb her down. We don't have to like give her another layer of like, oh, it's so hard to be me. No, she's doing just fine. She's actually a genius. Right. So I feel like this book made me bitter. It made me angry. Sorry if you liked it. You know, leave a comment. I won't read it anyway. That's how I feel about things right now. We'll ignore you. Yeah. I just feel like it got all the props. It got all the push and it didn't deserve it. I can tell you at least three or four kids at school that picked this book up and didn't make it through like chapter one. My kid, who is an avid reader, wouldn't. I, he tried three times. It couldn't make it. Me, I had to push myself and force myself to read the book. It's just boring. When I looked at reviews, that was sort of the general consensus. Like, why did this win the award? Because it checked the boxes. And B, it's just boring. The characters are flat. I mean, even the bunny in the graphic novel has a lot more depth than this one. She's got an alter ego, for God's sakes. This one doesn't. (laughs) So, Newberry, if you're listening, give an award to Song for a Whale. Yes. To make up for your mistakes. (laughs) Yeah. And let's be a little more selective. Judge Judy's in the house. You go, Judge Judy. (laughs) Obviously, it also shows that there's such little representation in that category. Yeah. That that got attention because of it. I mean, we're looking at the five. Literally, these are the five best ones that I have been able to come up with in the middle grade category. That's five. That's five. And we're talking about from like 2012 to present. That's not a lot. And that's stinky. Because, you know, we're cool. Those little one-eared wonders are cool. And so are deaf kids. And we digress. So shall we go on? So we're going to take a short break and come back with our little segment called Pick Six. You always sing it for me. There you go. You like that? (laughs) In which we'll talk about books that align with core academic subjects for all of you out there who are homeschooling or helping your kids through e-learning this year. Okay, I think most people think of reading as being mostly like an English thing, but sure. reading fiction fits all the way across the curriculum. And when I taught science, I always made sure to pair a unit with a fictional work that helped kind of like bring it into real life. So like we did this, when I first did a unit on electricity, we read The Reinvention of Thomas Edison by Jacqueline Houtman, P.S. Amazing book. It's from 2010, still holds true. This is a book about a boy on the spectrum who's obsessed with electricity, and you get a lot of great terminology in there. You get a lot of words that the kids are going to recognize. ACDC, this whole, whole sort of like Edison-Tesla debate. It's all in there. So it kind of ties it back into what you're learning. So for this week's pick six, we're going to give you six books that fit into any math, science, and history curriculum. 
I love it. I love it. I love science books because I'm a science nerd. So go ahead. What do you got? Okay. So first off, I just want to say that historical fiction is a great way to introduce kids to major events and periods of history from like the Jurassic period all the way up to modern times. Yep. So there are crazy amounts of books set against the backdrop of any any and all wars, of any and all major events. So if you went to your library's website or Amazon or IndieBound.com and just... Go to IndieBound before you go to Amazon, P.S. Yes, sorry, I should have said it that way. That's all right. We still love you. Enter the time period or event that your child's studying and you will find something for sure. I mean, just off the top of my head, I have books here like next to me. Um, there's Richard Peck on the Wings of Heroes. That's a great World War II book. Another great World War II book, The Boy on the Wooden Box. The Number of the Stars by Lois Lowry. Night Witches by Bruce Miles. And there's other Night Witch books, too, for different ages. And then, like, talking about Revolutionary War, there's Salt by Helen Frost, which is a really cool book. Uh, Woods Runner by one of my faves, Gary Paulson. If you're looking at, like, The Dust Bowl, there's Out of the Dust by um, Karen Hess, which is a really famous book. And then, of course, you have um, the Civil Rights Era. The Watsons go to Birmingham in 1963. It talks about the bombing of the church. I mean, there are millions and millions of books that are really well done to sort of give a story around a historical event and make it more real for kids. And I think like the, um, you mentioned Number of the Stars, which is a really great one to mention because almost, I, I think it's in, a, in the Common Core in a lot of states. Sure. Did you guys read it in, in Indiana? It's it's in, yes. the, it's in the curriculum in Massachusetts, I know. So it's a quick book. It's a quick little book. You're answering right. questions. It's nothing to it. So then bump it up, get a new one. So you take that little one and now, now find a nice, or you're reading Anne Frank. Now let's read like the war saved me or like refugee or something else that's new and it's fresh and it's another look. Yes. And that's their nighttime reading. So you're right. reading your book in school, you're reading it along with your, you know, remote learning or your homeschool or whatever. Now read something that's fun, but you're still in the same period. Right. And that's going to reinforce the learning. Fiction also puts them in the heart of what life was like at that time. Yeah. So it makes them more real to them too. Yeah. In that same token, those I Survive books are great. To oh do my that gosh. Too. Yes. There's, you can survive anything in those I Survive books, girl. My son loved the I Survive books. And they're younger. And even Magic Treehouse. Those are great books too to introduce. They, they hit different historical periods. Like they do Egyptians and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. Yes, not for nothing, but I literally live in Plymouth, Massachusetts. I saw the Mayflower dock the other day. I came back and <laughs> I learned things in that one. Sure. I can't remember the Thanksgiving Magic Treehouse one, but we read it at Thanksgiving and I was like, I learned so much in the Magic Treehouse. Yes. My son loved the mummies one. And it's so funny because he was pretty young when I read that to him and I was worried that the mummies would scare him. And there's a thief in that story and that worried him more than the mummy. And rightfully so. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's more real. He's like, mom, the mummies aren't real. Get a grip, woman. He's too smart for me. <laughs> So anyway, um, basically covering history with fiction is super easy. Super easy and really important. Yes. So look at look ahead. And you know, if you, if you don't know or you haven't got it yet, most likely at the very beginning of the school year, you're going to get what's called a scope and sequence. That's going to tell you what they're going to cover throughout the year. So if you look at your so- scope and sequence, you can say, oh, all right, I know we're going to cover the Greeks. We're going to cover this, that. There's books out there. 
find it. So many. Read it with them. Do it with them. Whatever. Yeah. Just to get them interested. Because I'll be the first to tell you that the books that the school's giving them to read are boring. Right. 90% of the time. They're old and they're boring. Hello, Treasure Island. What? So give them a book that's in that same period that's going to engage them that's more fun to and read. And I also think if you read it to them like at night or even just for a break, read it to them for 15 or 20 minutes. I mean, it's kind of fun because you get to interact with them. I mean, it's the same as like preschoolers who are watching educational stuff on TV learn better when an adult is in the room with them because they're kind of interacting with it and asking yeah. them questions. And that's the same thing with reading. If you're reading it with them, then you could talk about it and stop when there's something you think they might not understand and you yeah. can explain it better to them. Plus it's modeling. You're yes. reading, they're reading. They want to see you read so that they know that they should read. I am so about it. I read to my kids in classes up until they were up and through eighth grade. I never, thank God, thank God in heaven, I never had to teach above eighth grade because I probably would slit my wrist, but they love it. Even like surly, nasty, smelly 14-year-olds love to be read to. Oh, yes. My mom is a children's librarian and she used to read to us and I'm the oldest of five kids. The youngest is... 18 years younger than I am. So I remember coming home from dates in high school and my mom would be reading to the other kids and I would go in and listen because my older one does too. Yes. He'll jump right in. He'll be like, Oh, what are you guys reading? And we're reading something goofy, like stink or something, you know? Oh, sure. I'm like, sit here and listen. Of yes. course. I love to be read to. That's why I listen to podcasts. That's why I listen to audiobooks. I love to be read to. And I'm 25 ish. <laughs> You're 25. <laughs> Sorry, that just like went right by me. Like, yeah, we're 25. I'm still. <laughs> I, I also feel like just there's like a camaraderie about it, even though it I don't know when you're all imagining like the same thing happening. I feel like you're connecting even more than just watching TV because you have to imagine it. And so you all have your own thing going on in your head and you can talk about it. Yeah. With shows, you can't really pause and talk that much about it. No. And it's boring. There's nothing good on. I've been trying. There's nothing good that you can like watch with a 12 year old and a seven year old. Yeah. It's hard. Except for like Bear Grylls adventures. And I love me some Bear Grylls because he's a hottie boobalotti, but still he's, I mean, you know, you love him. You love him, but he looks oh. like your husband in the, like he's like a weird version of your husband. He is, yeah. But who's the other one? It's not Bear Girls. There's another guy that I like better because Bear Girls likes to do gross things like eat eyeballs and stuff. Oh, he's like fake, that. and it's all fake. You know, it's fake. But anyway, um, so I do have two books though that I would recommend: historical fiction books that I feel like because I feel like I should give people something since I just said go find it for yourself. Yeah. P.S. We'll put them all on the on the blog so you yes. can find the list as well. Yes. Everything they had, they're just like rambled off. I know. I mean, <laughs> seriously, I could go on and on. I mean, I have more books like. I have Prisoner 88. I mean, anyway, sorry. The Boy in the Stripe Pajamas. Yeah. I mean, seriously, there's a million. So, but I do kind of, there were two books that I pulled out that I thought would be kind of fun to share. One of them is Lizzie Bright and the Buckminster Boy by Gary Schmidt. Holy Schmidt. <laughs> <laughs> he is probably most famous for the Wednesday Wars. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this book, it's set, it took me a while to figure out when it's set. I think it's like in the night, like, around 1905 to 1913. But it's based on a historical event. Um, it's set in Maine. It's it, You'll love this because it's about a boy who lived in Boston and his family moves to Maine. And his dad is a um, minister. So he moves from the city to the country and it's kind of traumatic for him. And then he meets this young girl named Lizzie Bright, who is a black girl who lives on an island that has been um, inhabited by slaves who've been freed. So they've set up a community on this island. And think about this book that I think is so amazing. <laughs> 
and sort of startling is the racism is so in your face. And it was rough up here. And basically what happens is their fishing community or the fishing economy is starting to go downhill. So the the elders, the old fat white men, <laughs> basically determine that they're, they need to come up with something new for their to boost their economy. And they decide they want to try to attract tourists. But they can't att- attract tourists, heaven forbid, if there's this island of black families living in houses that they've built themselves and blah, blah, blah. So it's a real story about a community that basically gets wiped out. Wow. I want to read this now. Okay. And I will say, okay, some of the comments online were that it is a little bit boring. So, and it is Newberry winners. So. Well, we, and we've learned. Yeah. <laughs> check the box, check the box. And Gary Schmidt is a little bit of a slow, his stories are a little bit slower, but trust me, they're worth it. And I think if you read this together with your children, you'll be able to really talk about in real, like real racism in American history and just be honest about it and open about it and talk about it. And I think this book is a great way to do that. And the characters are sweet and they work together to try to save the village. And um, so it's the Lizzie Bright is a black girl in the, in the, on the island. And then the Buckminster boy is the son of the minister. Their relationship is very charming and I think it's worth reading and talking about. The other book I was going to share is The Birch Bark House by Lois Erdich. Louise, I'm sorry, Louise Erdich. Okay, this book came to me in sort of a weird way because I'm a bit of a huge fan of Little House on the Prairie books. Uh, obsession. I know. And Super nerd. They've come under fire recently, and I know millennial moms don't like to recommend them because they think that they're inappropriate for their kids. But And so I found this book because there were some millennial moms recommending that you read The Birch Bark House instead of Little House on the Prairie. Oh, right. I did see that somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I know that name. And I did read it. I mean, I don't want to be close-minded about that at all because it is a great book and it's a National Book Award finalist. It's about a young Native American girl named Amakayas and her family story. Basically, it's happening around the same time that settlers are coming to America, uh-huh. the U.S. And it's her story of her life. And it's really beautiful. And again, it's a little bit slow moving, but I enjoyed it. And But I would like to recommend that parents, instead of pretending like... Little House on the Prairie isn't a thing. I mean, that is how a lot of people came to our country. I think that you should read them side by side and talk about that. Yeah. And just discuss it with your kids about what does this mean? And I'm not really even sure what so ugly about the I'm not sure what's ugly about Little House either because I think they made me a better person and I watched the show and I read the books and I loved them and they made me a reader. And the books made me love history. And if that's how people enter into that genre, then I don't think you should stop them. But I also think it would be a really interesting thing to read both these books, you know, like read the first Little House book and read the Birch Bark House together and then talk about the differences and what was happening at the time and what it meant to Native Americans to have all these people coming in because they do address it in the Birch Bark House. They have uh, white people are encroaching on their land more and more. And so it is an issue. And I think it's interesting to see it from both sides. All right. Well, those are awesome picks. Those are really awesome picks and I love them. Uh, And I'm really excited to read both of the last two that you mentioned, plus some of the other ones in there. So lastly, I wanted to encourage families to use cooking as another way to bring history to life. So if you're teaching a historical event in time, I love to bring cooking into it. 
You can find cookbooks with recipes from all around the world, from any point in history, and making those foods is a fun way to make history more tangible for kids. I know when my son was in fourth grade, they were learning about Native Americans that lived in Indiana, and we made a recipe. Some kind of bread, I think. Didn't we all make that bread? Like when they were in, my older son was in fourth grade, we made some sort of Native American bread or something, like a pan bread? Yeah, we made like a cornmeal thing with- Yeah, 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 yeah. But my son, you know, it's so funny because my son really wanted to make bison stew, which I was kind of dreading because I didn't want to have to bring in the crock pot to school and do all that whole thing. You were like, I didn't want to go out and slaughter the bison in my backyard. But the funny story is we do have a bison farm here outside of where I live. And so I told him that since I wasn't going to do it for school, that we would do it for fun for ourselves. And I called this guy and I was like, I need to get some bison meat. And he's like, okay, because normally he sells at the farmer's market in summer. But of course, this is after school started. So they weren't doing that anymore. And he was like, will you meet me at the gas station and I will bring your shut <laughs> up like a shady bison switch off. I love it. The best. That's good parenting right there. Oh my there. god, he was such a nice man and he was and it turns out he's like a cousin of a friend of mine so it worked out really well. But yes, I bought my bison meat from a guy at the gas station and it was awesome. And so we only you only you would like research <laughs> it to the point where you could call the bison man. I'd be like, "Kids, we're just going to use hamburger." All right, good. Pretend it's bison. You're like, no, let me call the bison farm and see if he can meet me on the DL. Give me some bison, man. <laughs> you're epic. You're, I believe as the kids say, you're kind of extra. <laughs> I am a little extra. So the best part was we took the bison meat to my family's farm and my brother had been growing all these root vegetables that were kind of native to the land. So we made like, I made legit native bison stew. Oh my God. God, you have lost your mind. It was really good too, by the way. Then I felt kind of bad that I didn't let him take it to school. You could have owned it over all those other moms. Yes, we could have rocked it. You'd be like, yo, let me drop the mic on my bison studio. <laughs> that's right. I know. I, I was like, dang, I think I missed an opportunity. Because everybody knows that school. I mean, nobody did their own projects. Right. Did the projects. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, my kid went there for two years and I was like, wait a minute. I'd see the people coming in and out. i be like, yeah, let's no way a third grader made that sign, girl. Oh my gosh. There was one time when uh, they had our related project due for my son's class and I was out of town and I told my husband like okay here's what you have to do and he was like well I'm not doing that he can do it I'll let him do it and I was like oh no <laughs> this is gonna go really ugly. wrong yes yes you should have told your husband everybody else's mom is doing theirs can you just hook a brother up my, literally my, hook poor, a brother up. my poor son was so upset <laughs> Because everybody else's was like this amazing, beautiful project. And he came in with his little sad. But you know what? You could have gone in and be like, you know what, though? My dad can hack your dad's company's website. So shut up and don't mock me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's terrible. That's awesome. But I agree, though, because you know what? We actually, um, my kids are learning Turkish as one of their subjects for homeschooling. it, And Aww. they're also, we do a lot of Turkish cooking to go with it. Because, you know, like eventually we'll get up to working through the ingredients all in Turkish. But it's a great way to kind of tie it in. Right. Oh, yeah. Like the names and the words. And that's like, it's, you know, like yesha fashule as opposed to green beans. And then they learn that. They learn the words that go with it. Like the two books that I talked about, The Birch Bark House and the Lizzie Bright and the Buckminster Boy, they talk about foods that they're eating in there. So yeah. if you just Google those recipes, you can make them and it makes it feel real. You know, like your child is there in time with the people in the book. And when I do research for the books that I write, I always look up recipe books 
Because it makes it feel more authentic. Yeah. It's those daily things that make it feel more authentic. One of my favorite books is The Prairie Cooks by Carrie Young. And she has awesome recipes about pioneer, pioneering recipes and stuff. It's really You fun. put your bonnet on and go in the back over the fire pit and do it? Oh, you know I have a bonnet. What else would I wear on dress up day at preschool? Come on now. She do. <laughs> All right. What are your picks? So, because you took the history route, I took the math and science route because science is my jam. Yeah. Math is not my jam, but we have Khan Academy. Thank you. So now it is. Um, <laughs> so, the first one I picked was actually a math book, and it's called The Miscalculations of Lightning Girl. And uh, this is a 2018 book. And it, uh, this girl gets struck by lightning. God willing, this would have happened to me. She gets struck by lightning, and all of a sudden, she can do math at like genius level. <laughs> That's awesome. And she could like get out of middle school. She's 12 and she could like keep on going on to college and everything. But she has to like pass the world's hardest test first, which is getting through middle school. So, and we all know that is the worst test in the universe. So that's um, by Stacy McAlty. I'm going to say it wrong. Sorry, McAnalty. McAnalty? McAnalty. So that's the miscalculations of Lightning Girl. It's a lot about math. Not quite like math, like Watership Down is about math, but like in a fun way. This is one thing I had, though. I have to say, all the math and science books thematically that I really found that I hadn't used myself had girl characters, and that's a little troubling to me. Oh, well, it's probably because I feel like we're swinging the other way. Yeah. Yeah, kind And I still, you know, when you're a boy mom, it makes you feel I know, it's hard. Um, Sort of like all of our care, all of our books today. We read five books about deaf and hard of hearing characters. One half of one book had a deaf boy. Oh, you're right. Wow. Troubling. Um, my second pick is a book I love and a book my son's going to be reading this year when we study plants because uh, Counting by Sevens and it's by Holly Gert- Goldberg Stone. Have you read this? Or Sloan, excuse me. Have you read this yet? Mm-mm, I have read this. We did this as an inter, um, interdisciplinary unit with the seventh grade, seventh or eighth graders when I taught in Indianapolis. And I did the science leg and then my friend Sheila read it with the other kids. It's a really great book about a girl who's kind of has a tragic event her whole world is turned upside down but there's science science never lets you down there's a lot of great stuff about like the corpse flower and you know it's a lot of it's it's a good book and it pulls that in and my third is something i just read this and it was interesting i read this right before the library closed again because this is how i roll it had a really cool cover Mm -hmm. so i picked it up i'm like this is a really cool cover i i want to check this out um and it's called the tornado by jake burt and it was so interesting. It was very engineer heavy. And it's about these two kids who don't have a whole lot in common, but then they soon find out like once the bully comes after both of them, that they have a lot in common because they both have to deal with this like horrible bully who of course is the principal's son. And they are part of a club that has to rebuild Da Vinci's invention. Ooh, that's fun. Sort of like who can outdo the biggest engineering feat using a Da, Vin- da Vinci plan. That's but the best part, like my favorite part of the whole book is that this kid, his mom, mom is actually this like amazing welder and engineer and she's the one like the dad has he's in the military so he's not there and the mom is the one who's like facilitating all of it and she's got all the boys over in their garage welding with the boys working on this thing and she's like she's just seriously badass and that we need more of those that's cool it's a brilliant way to write the character and like you see that why the kid is how he is it's not because he's got this sort of like masculine sort of 
you know, force that's creating him, but it's got this really feminine force who's making him think like an engineer. I just love it for that. I like it. So anyway, those are my three books. I could give you an, I would actually say, I, I said to you on the break, but um, we're going to, Song for a Whale is actually, my son is reading that one for, we're doing our first unit that we're doing in um, homeschool has been on aquatic life because we live right off of Cape Cod. So we have sharks and we have whales and we have everything and we have all kinds of amazing places to go see them. You don't even have to walk for it. The other day I was at the beach and I was like, look at that. There's a seal swimming by, which then I've now also learned is like, oh, code, don't go in there because the sharks are here. I learned that too. Yeah. But it's, so it's really cool. So I thought that would be a great initial unit with both my kids. And so he's going to read Song for a Whale as his sort of supplementary fiction to go with the, the science, more science side of things. So while you were talking about science, I also wanted to add because I had mentioned the um, Poetry Friday book last time we talked. Yeah. And there's a new one called The Poetry of Science. Oh, <gasps> get it. I know. It's so cool. You know that. It has 248 poems that all relate to science. Hello. I'm ordering it now. I will find it. And that's by the same people who did the Poetry Friday book. It's Sylvia Vardell and Janet Wong. And then they have collected 248 poems by 78 different poets all about science. It's so funny because my husband and I are so we are like polar opposites in so many ways and then we're like the exact same person in so many other ways and we were on the deck last night having our evening wine and we were talking about how how heavy our our homeschool curriculum is so science heavy because my kids are big science nerds our kids are really science minded but then again like that's all they know because from the get-go we've always really pushed science with them because that's what we love Mm -hmm. And we were like, do you think that like in this world of, that's so anti-science and there's so many people that are afraid of it, we were just talking about like how giving your kids that background in science and that understanding and pushing them just a smidge further to understand science gives them the biggest leg up. Yes. Because just being able to understand and know science and think critically and all the things that go into science is so important. But right now it's just, it's imperative. Just even the like science observations and critiquing thinking critically yeah thinking critically and observing and making notes from observations and just the scientific method that alone will get kids so far in life right or being able to look at a facebook post and know that you will not die because you wear a mask because you've trapped co2 in your body right right because that basically just says to me I do not understand science. So this looks scary and I shall share it all. Just saying. Right. Thanks science too, because it has this approach of we don't know. We're always striving to know more that teaches kids to not be like that. Like song for a whale. Again, again, Lynn, we're coming for you. We love you. We love you so much. But that book has such great scientific information and it is so digestible and so accessible. You learn so much and then I love it when she has this great rapport with one of the one of the scientists at the sanctuary she's like you're thinking like a scientist that's good don't give up you're thinking like a scientist and I'm like yes yes that's exactly it you know and that determination and that persistence is like that's you want to know you want to know you want to know you want to try it out and rewarding her for it yes yeah like yes keep going keep doing it and the other thing is like telling this deaf girl yeah you can do this you can do something that's based in sound Right. Who cares if you're deaf? I think that there's so many moments in this book that were just so, so rewarding to me and so perfect for me. Again, I love you, Lynn. 
I love you. <laughs> all right. One of these things I want to say, though, to top it all off, that in, on top of all these amazing deaf and hard of hearing characters and all of this, we want to announce that Tulip Mamas will now start having a full transcript of each podcast available on our website at tulipmamas.com. We want to put our money where our mouth is about accessibility, and yes. we want to be able to make sure that we are very much available to the deaf and hard of hearing community as well. Yes. So look for those. Um, we don't want anyone to miss our ramblings. <laughs> I mean, God bless the person that has to that has to translate our like blah, 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 blah. oh tangent squirrel. Yeah, God bless them. Soapbox. <laughs> Soapbox. Leave them in, please. Anyway. What's up for our next episode? Okay, for the next episode of Tulip Mamas, we'll be looking at ghost stories. Mm-hmm. Just in time for Halloween. There'll be some Mary Downing Han books, of course. And I'm thinking maybe Holly Black's Dollbones, which is a great book. What do you got? I'm going to read Scary Stories for Young Foxes. Ooh, I... I know it keeps getting suggested to me. Like every time I'm on various sites when I'm looking up other things, probably because I read a lot about murder. I don't know. <laughs> but um, again, just bring the shovel. Um, so hopefully it'll be good. I hope it's not too scary because I'm kind of a wuss. I know, me too. Anyway, okay. So thank you for listening to Tulip Mamas. I hope you had a good time. We definitely had a good time on this one. This one was fun. Yeah. Um, We appreciate your support and we'd appreciate any reviews. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at www.twolipmamas.com. And you can sign up to follow our blog where we put some tips and hints and fun little activities to do. And we're also on Facebook under Two Lit Mamas and on the Insta at <laughs> Two TWO Lit Mamas Podcast. So check us out. Follow us. And if you want to join us twice a month for our crazy kid lit discussions, please subscribe to our podcast through any of the places you get your podcasts. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye. Yeah, bye. bye.